0: Good morning and welcome to the Sunday stream at Flat Creek Baptist Church. We are so thankful that you've joined us today. Whether you're watching online or you are joining us on Glory FM 97.5, we are grateful for you being here today and we look forward to worshiping alongside of you this morning. God bless you and enjoy the stream. time of prayer this morning. Father, thank you so much for the uh, wonderful morning uh, that we have already experienced. Uh, Lord, the 830 service was was so rich. Uh, Sunday school hour, uh, just seeing the body of Christ, uh, just diving deep into your word and now being able to join together at the 11 o'clock service to just worship and praise and glorify your name. Lord, it is just good to be together. Your word tells us in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 35 to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together and even more as we see the day drawing near. Lord, it is good for us to come together, to assemble together, to worship together because, Lord, we need mutual encouragement. The days are... Are getting shorter and shorter as we realize the coming of your son Jesus Christ is more imminent than it has ever been we realize that that day could dawn at any day just like 2,000 years ago when they were eagerly awaiting the arrival of Messiah so today we eagerly await the second coming we look forward to the day the Lord Jesus Christ with the sound of the archangels voice and the trumpet will sound and the Lord Jesus will come on the clouds and we'll be called up together to meet him in the air and what a glorious joyous day that will be when you reign in righteousness when you put an end to sin and death oh death where is your victory oh death where is your sting we are so thankful today that our lord jesus christ not only died but resurrected and today we come to worship you. As the song just said, more wonderful, more wonderful. In the book of Revelation, they said, Worthy. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And is He, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we give our attention and focus to today. And we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand today. We are so thankful. So thankful for you joining us for a time of worship this morning. We welcome our online and radio listening audience as well. And then if you see behind me, we have the Golden Corral Choir today, our senior adult choir. And we are so thankful for them being with us today. This is a traveling group of singers, okay? They go from this place to that place, from nursing home to nursing home, always singing, always bringing The glory of the Lord Jesus Christ everywhere they go and we are so thankful that they're here to bless us today the Sunday before Christmas uh, To sing of our Savior the Lord Jesus Christ And so we love you and love brother Gary and all you do directing the golden crowd They're going to sing another here in just a few moments Uh, If you are here for the very first time today, it is our honor To be able to have you as our special guest today inside the back of your pews You're gonna find a green connections card if you could fill that out for us and on your way out the double doors There's a little connections desk right beside the doors You'll see some greeters there if you could turn that in for us That's our way to connect with you during the week. We also have a commemorative gift for you So please swing by and pick one of those up Uh, Also two quick announcements just so you don't forget Uh, First of all remember that next Sunday, okay is Christmas Eve so we have an amended worship service schedule next week. We'll have two morning services, as we always do, but our first service will be at 9 a.m., and our second service will be at 11 a.m., with no Sunday school in between. Please invite your friends, please invite your family, your neighbors, your co-workers to come and join us next Sunday morning for a time of worship. And then next Sunday night, Christmas Eve, we'll have a Christmas Eve traditional service at 5 p.m., so please be a part of that. Uh, Also, please don't forget tonight, 5 p.m., okay, is a very special night. We're having what we call the night of encouragement. It's the first time we've ever done this. This comes from the heart of your church staff. As we were preparing for the Christmas season, we realized that while many of us are running here and there and everywhere, and it's the most exciting and joyous time of the year, we also realized that for some, this is a very difficult season. Maybe you lost somebody this year to death. Uh, maybe you recently went through a divorce. Maybe you are worried, anxious, stressed, whatever it might be. Christmas time is not so easy for you. Well, we want you to come out tonight for a night of encouragement. Uh, Miss Breeze, our children's director, right here. Miss Breeze, uh, she is going to be. Yeah, y'all give her a big hand. That's all right. Got to drum it up a little bit. Uh, But Breeze is going to be here tonight and she's going to be sharing a special word of encouragement with you Uh, I think you're going to be richly blessed if you've never heard this young lady share the Bible I promise you you're in for a blessing tonight So please be here at 5 o'clock even if you say you know what I don't need that I'm having a great time. I'm having a great season. You know the year is fine for me You might be able to encourage somebody else. So please come out and join us tonight at 5 p.m. Also, we have free hot chocolate for you tonight not, it may not be fried chicken but it should at least uh it should at least entice you a little bit also we do have a small free gift for everyone who comes tonight so please come at 5 p.m tonight for a night of encouragement we're going to continue our time of worship with the time of fellowship this is the time to shake the hands of those around you so if you'll stand to your feet and sing with us and shake the hands around you as we sing Christ alone.
1: Came from a Christmas cantata known as "The Love of God at Christmas," arranged by a gentleman named Russell Malden, and he has done a great job of being able to take that old Southern gospel song, "The Love of God," and we into that some of our favorite Christmas carols. I was looking at a DVD the other day. Um, this choir goes through transitions every year. Did this cantata this full cantata 11 years ago at flat creek we had 38 voices in the choir that year and since then we've had 15 of those 38 go on to sing in god's choir and about 10 more have had to transition out because they either went to live with uh, children or have moved into assisted living facilities and such as that so of those original 38 we have 14 original choir members with us this morning and God just keeps replenishing this choir with great talents and we, we appreciate that so much. Um, the next song we're going to do for you is uh, a medley of uh, the love of God with "O holy night." <laughs>
0: Thank you, Mr. Gary. Thank you, Golden Corral. What a beautiful, beautiful song that was. Reminds me of John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Y'all give it up for the Golden Corral one more time this morning. Love y'all. Love you so much. Oh, Appreciate love that. You, too. Love you. At this time, if you are kindergarten to fifth grade and uh, you have pre-registered to go to Children's Church. The children will be dismissed right here behind the piano. Miss Breeze is there waiting on you. All kinds of children will be running that direction. As they're, turning their, as they're running that way, you turn your Bibles to the book of Ruth today. Ruth chapter number four, or not four, just the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth. You get the children and the senior adult in the same hallway. Uh, some of them see grandchildren, and, and it might, they might talk a while. That's okay. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Ruth today, and I'm uh, going to really cover the entire book in one message this morning. I know what you're thinking to yourself. Oh, no, we're going to be here a while. Yes. Yes. <laughs> We uh, honestly uh, got the uh, 8.30 service out almost on time. Not, not on time, but most, almost on time. Uh, they were so funny, though, that I told them, I said, look, the way I see it, preaching four books, we'll start right here at 8.30, and we'll just go all the way to the 11 o'clock service and just keep on preaching right on through 12.30. And can you believe that the 8.30 service gave me a motion and a second for me to keep preaching to 12.30 today? I like it. The way I figured this time is, I mean, we got the night of encouragement starting at 5, so we'll just, we'll get there. Um, going to continue today in our series of messages entitled, Only Jesus. And today I want to bring a message to you entitled, Only Jesus, Our Kinsman Redeemer. We're going to read to you just one passage of Scripture from Ruth chapter number 2. This is really today just to set the context of the morning we're going to be across this whole book like i said but and i must admit that when i come to this portion of the text today in ruth chapter 2 i'm trusting that the majority of you have a at least at least a a foundational knowledge of the book of ruth enough so that you can kind of tune in to where we are in the story if you don't have any knowledge of the book of Ruth, that's okay. Before the end of the day, you will. But I want you to listen to Ruth chapter 2, verse 20, just to set context today. And here the Bible says that Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, May Boaz be blessed of the Lord, who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and the dead. And again, Naomi said to her, The man is our relative. He is one of our closest relatives, or he is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Let's take a moment and go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, we just praise your holy name. What a a joyous celebration we've had this morning. Uh, Lord, as I I said in 830 and I say again, it's it's truly uh, such a blessing to me to see all the talent we have on stage from the piano player to the bass guitarist uh to the worship singers to the golden chorale choir uh lord you know on a day like this when brother caleb our worship minister is away it's good to see that you know the body of christ is fashioned in such a way where every person is needed and we can't do what we do without each person on this stage and and god it's amazing to me that even when when our worship leader is a way that you still have gifted and talented people who are able to lead us in worship and we don't miss a beat. That's just, God, that's just the the, the heart of Flat Creek Baptist Church because here's the thing, we say it all the time, it's not about Caleb, it's not about me, it's it's, it's all about you. And if it's never not about you, then that's when, uh, Lord, the blessings will stop. We always want to keep Jesus the main thing. We always want to exalt and lift high the name of Christ. Anything else, then we fail. So God, as we come to this little portion of the scriptures today, the book of Ruth, such a small little book, but so profound in what it conveys. I pray that your name might be known. I pray that Jesus might be magnified. And God, we pray for the transformation of hearts today. And We say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We come today to the book of Ruth, to what has been called the greatest love story ever told. This story of Ruth and her kinsman redeemer, Boaz. It's just a little book. It's nestled there in the Old Testament between the books of Judges and 1 Samuel. It's only four chapters long, one of only two books in your Bible that's named after a woman. It's written most likely by Samuel. It's a short story set in the days when the judges governed the land. Just listen with me, if you will, to Ruth chapter 1, verse number 1. The Bible says, now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. Now that verse is extremely important because it kind of helps set the spiritual climate of the day. So if you'll journey back with me to Judges chapter number 2. Judges chapter number 2, that's one book to your left. We're going to be drawn into this spiritual climate. It's going to help us to understand where we are in the the text here in Ruth. Judges chapter 2, beginning in verse 9, just after Joshua, that great hero of the faith, dies. The Bible says, and they buried Joshua in the territory of his inheritance in Timnath Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them, who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work that he had done for Israel. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord and the God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. Thus they were provoked the Lord to anger. So they forsook the Lord and served the Baals and Ashtaroth. So as you come to chapter number 1, verse 1, you see this spiritual climate of the day, and because of that, we see that they're suffering something physically. The Bible says that there was a famine in the land, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Now remember that a famine is an intense and severe hunger crisis, meaning there's starvation, there's malnourishment, there's sickness, there's poverty, there's death. It's widespread throughout the land. This, no doubt, is a judgment of God against the chosen race of Abraham because of their turning away from God in order to worship foreign gods. Friends, this is what's so terrifying about the book of Ruth. It's not only a time of physical famine, but more than that, this is a time of widespread spiritual famine. The Word of God, the worship of God has all but disappeared from the landscape. And the Spirit of God and the identified movements of God have all but evaporated. And this led to widespread sin as the people are spiritually malnourished and spiritually sick. And friends, this is truly the worst famine of them all, a spiritual famine. And here's what's terrifying for us today is that a spiritual famine is not always accompanied with a physical famine. You see, friends, here's the truth. We can be spiritually in a famine even when our bellies are full. You to think for just a moment of the church at Laodicea. What does Jesus say to them in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17? He says, Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. The church at Laodicea was a church that had all the luxuries the world had to offer. Tithing was up, ministries were going on, the men walked the aisles in their tailored suits, the women wore their Sunday best. They had everything you think a church needs to have in order to be successful, but there was a spiritual famine. Friends, there is nothing worse than to have all the riches in the world yet be devoid of the Spirit of God. And I will tell you, dear brother and sister, this is where we are in the church of America today. Just as our friend Jeff LeBorg says, the church in America has more than we've ever had, yet we have less of the Holy Spirit. Now, the people of Ruth's day, they are physically in a famine, but they are also spiritually in a famine. They are spiritually at the point of death. They are physically at the point of death. And what's so striking to us is that there does not seem to be repentance. There doesn't even seem to be a recognition of the fact that it was their own false worship that led to them being in this state. And how do we know? We know there's no repentance because of the family of Elimelech, this man who's introduced to us at the end of chapter 1. It says, and a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. And the man's name was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of the two sons were Malon and Kilion, Ephratites of Bethlehem and Judah. Friends, understand today that the family of Elimelech, they are Judaites, meaning that the Messianic promise, the Messianic hope was theirs. From this lineage, this tribe, the tribe of Judah was to come forth the lion of the tribe of Judah. If anyone in the nation of Israel at that time should have had their eye on the Messiah, if anyone should have had their eye on the one who would come and crush the head of the serpent, you would think that it would be the people of the lineage of Judah. Furthermore, you think that it would definitely be the family of Elimelech. After all, when you come to the end of this book, you find that this family, the family of Elimelech, they were the carriers at that time of the Messianic hope. Just as God had promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah, and later on he promises uh, perez and hezron and ram and Amminadab and nashon this messianic hope being passed down through this family now god's covenant blessing rested on the home of elimelech it was through him and through his household that the messiah was to be born however when the famine hits there is no repentance There is no seeking after God. There's no leadership from the house of Judah. There's no waging of war against sin from the home of Elimelech. There's nobody trying to destroy the idols and to destroy false gods, as we'll see across kings and chronicles from the tribe of Judah. Instead, what do we see? That the house of Elimelech, these Judaites, they abandoned the promises. They abandoned the providence they abandon the protection of God and they pack up and they go to the land of Moab. Friends, could there be anything more provoking to the Lord God of Israel than the bearer of the messianic hope and the messianic promise leaving the land of promise in the midst of a famine to run to a land littered with foreign gods and pagan customs? And more than that, Elimelech didn't just run to any land. He ran to the land of Moab. Just a brief overview of your Old Testament will teach you who this people group is and and of God's anger against them. You remember where they came from. It was just after Sodom and Gomorrah when God rained down fire and judgment that Lot and his two daughters, they ran to a cave. When they got to the cave that evening, Lot's daughters got their dad drunk. And they did this for two nights in a row. And both of the daughters had sexual intercourse with their own dad. And it was from one of those incestuous nights that Lot had a son with his own daughter named Moab. He becomes the father of the Moabites to the children of Abraham. This was repulsive. As this people group, the people group of Moab became known as this people group that came from this incestuous relationship. Their beginning was awful and their history wasn't much better. You might remember when the Israelites were coming out of Egypt, they come into the land of Moab and they're thirsty and they're hungry to the point of death and the Moabites refused to offer them a drink. You might remember King Balak in the book of Numbers and how he calls Balaam the prophet over King Balak being the king of Moab and says to him prophesy against the land of Israel prophesy against Abraham's children and Balaam says God won't give me a word of prophecy about them but Balaam says this is what you can do King Balak you can move to just on the outside of their camp and and if you do that the the Israeli men the Hebrew men they have a propensity to marry foreign women and if they do that, they'll begin to bow down and worship their gods, and then God's anger will be provoked against them. Friends, this was Moab. This was the people. This was the place that Elimelech ran to. Furthermore, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah all prophesy the destruction of this people group. And then, if you go a little bit further, Deuteronomy 23 3 through 4 tells us this No Ammonite. And no Moabite shall enter the assembly of the Lord. None of their descendants, even to the 10th generation, shall ever enter the assembly of the Lord because they did not meet you with food and water on the day you came out of Egypt. And because they hired Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pethor of Mesopotamia to curse you, you shall never seek their peace or their prosperity all of your days. Friends, this is the worst judgment of all. Not only did the prophets prophesy their destruction, but Moses says they are cut off, cut off to the 10th generation. Do not even seek peace with them. Most commentators say that 10th generation is a general statement to say that the Moabite people were cut off forever. The Moabites, therefore, become a symbol of cursed sinners who were alienated and cut off from God. In other words, the Moabites represent us, born into sin, under the dominion of death, apart from Christ, only destruction and the wrath of God as our future. The land of Moab, certainly not the place where you would consider the bearer of the messianic covenant, the bearer of the messianic hope to sojourn, yet there he is just like abraham in the book of genesis when a famine hit what does the bible say abraham left the promised land and went down 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 into egypt so here elimelech goes down 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 into moab and there he's going to remain for the next 10 years but elimelech's not going to see the total of those 10 years for what does it say in verse 3 Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. Friends, we do not know how long this family was in Moab before Elimelech died, but we know this, Moab is the land in which Elimelech was buried. I mean, could anything be worse to not only leave the land of the promise, but to take your family to a foreign land and be buried there? apart from the people of God. I mean, Elimelech didn't even echo the words of Joseph. You remember Joseph, don't you, down in Egypt? He said, I may die here, but don't you leave my bones here. On the day that God brings you out, you take my bones into the promised land. That's not the story of Elimelech. He became so complacent, and he became so ingrained in the Moabite country that it didn't matter to him if his bones stayed there. It's a terrible testimony of this man. In fact, I suppose that his bones are still in the desolate land of Moab today. What a sad testimony this is. His sons, Malon and Kilion, with Naomi, they live on in the land, and they fall into the trap of what Balaam said would happen. They will intermarry with Moabite women. Malon and Kilion, they take two women, Orpah and Ruth, both Moabites. But what happens next, nobody expects. Not only does Elimelech die, but there in Moab, both boys, newlyweds, Milan and Kilion, both die. And the Bible tells us that Naomi was left with only her two daughters-in-law. That's all she's got left. And I want you to observe this first point this morning. You see, I think you really have to understand the gravity of the situation to understand where Naomi is spiritually in this moment. You see, I want you to observe in the text that at this moment, messianic hope is dead. If you journey all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, you remember that it's there, that Adam and Eve were given that, uh, that, that, that first gospel. It was spoken as a curse against the serpent, Genesis 3.15. God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. You will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. And all commentators say that from that point forward, every girl that was born down through the ages, especially every girl from the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they carried inside of themselves this hope of being the woman who would carry the Messiah in her womb. In fact, there are many who say that the events of Luke 1, when the annunciation was given to Mary, that she would bring forth the Messiah. There are many who say that that announcement in and of itself is not what shocked Mary. She fully expected that she could possibly be the one that would bring forth the Messiah. Instead, they say what shocked her and perplexed her is just simply how it would happen see Naomi as a little girl growing up in Bethlehem she would have heard the stories of Adam and Eve she would have heard the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah and Naomi carried in herself the hope of the Messiah furthermore she married Elimelech, a man who stood in line to be the carrier of messianic hope so don't miss it for Naomi this is grief compounded upon grief. Because down in Moab, not only was it just her husband and her sons who died, for Naomi, messianic hope has now died. Who will be the carrier of the promise? Who will crush the head of the serpent now that Elimelech and my two sons are dead? Who will deliver us From the dominion of death one might think of the disciples on that night that the Lord Jesus died for three days they probably had these conversations what now where do we go what do we do we thought he was going to deliver us but now Jesus is dead he's in a tomb what hope do we have friends these are very real thoughts this morning And I would venture to say there's probably somebody under the sound of my voice. This is where you are today. For you, all messianic hope has perished. You've ran so far. You've sinned so great. You've bowed down to idols for so long. God seems so distant. Mount Calvary, where the Lord Jesus Christ died, seems to you to be the end of the story. Your soul is vexed. You're in deep despair. You're in deep turmoil this morning. You walked in the door today with no hope of salvation in your spirit. You think Jesus can't save me. He wouldn't save me, nor would I ask him to save me, even if it was possible. The shame is just too much for you to bear. Or well, the darkness of the soul that finds itself here. It's no wonder that Naomi would say at the end of chapter 1, verse 20, as she makes her way back to Bethlehem, she says, do not call me Naomi. Call me Marah, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? What a lie of Satan to tell you that messianic hope is dead. Do you think that it took God by surprise the day that Elimelech ran down to Moab? Do you think it took God by surprise the day that Milan and Kilion married two foreign women? Do you think it took God by surprise when those two boys died? Absolutely not. Nothing could be further from the truth. Friends, messianic hope is never dead because the Lord God reigns. He is sovereign over the affairs of humanity. He is sovereign even over our steps. God knew what he was doing all along. God is simply working everything out according to his purpose, his pleasure, and his will for one reason, to point us directly to Jesus. Everything in the book of Ruth is not by chance, nothing. Instead, everything in this book is to point you directly to your Redeemer. And so the story goes in chapter 1 that there's this pivotal moment where Naomi, she hears that the famine is over. God is blessing his people in Bethlehem, so let's go back. And as she begins to walk back to Bethlehem, she gets to a point where she turns to her daughters-in-laws and she says to them, listen, what am I going to give you when we get back? I have no other son that you can marry, and even if I were to marry a man today, it would take years before he was of marrying age So just go back home to your own people. Live a happy life there with your own family. Marry, have children, and I'm just going to go back to Bethlehem. You go back to Moab. The Bible tells us in verse number 14, Of chapter 1 they lifted up their voices and wept again and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law but Ruth clung to her and she said behold Naomi said your sister in law has gone back to her people and her gods return after your sister-in-law but Ruth said do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from following you for where you go I will go and where you lodge I will lodge your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. I mean, what a beautiful confession of this young woman named Ruth. And if you look down in verse number 22, it says, Naomi returned, and with her Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law who returned from the land of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Bethlehem name means the house of bread. So don't miss it at the beginning of chapter one, there is no bread in the house of bread, but at the end of chapter one, there is once again bread in the house of bread. And so they've come home. Now unbeknownst to Ruth and Naomi, they have no idea how God is working behind the scenes. Remember those words of Habakkuk chapter 1, when God said to Habakkuk, Habakkuk, if you can see what I was doing behind the scenes, you would be utterly astounded and amazed. Friends, God was at work even when they didn't know he was at work. And can I tell you today that God's at work in your life even when you can't see it. Even when you don't think he's there, even when you don't think he's stirring, even when you don't think he's working, trust me, behind the scenes, God it's doing a work. I've often said to people who come to my office who are struggling, I've said to them, if you could see 10 years from right now and how God works it all out, do you know what you would say? You would say, okay, okay. But then faith would cease to be faith. God is always at work, even when we don't know he's at work. Listen to this story unfolding. What a beautiful picture of grace begins to unfold. And I want you to see this second observation this morning. True beauty is in the eye of the beholder. True beauty is in the eye of the beholder. The story is told of two high school friends who had not seen each other in many years, but one afternoon they were at a busy airport and they just happened to run into each other. There was only a short amount of time between flights, and so they decided to just grab a quick bite to eat before they were off to their next destination. They exchanged stories about the old days, and then as conversations normally do, it turned quickly to career and adventure. And then, of course, one of those guys reached in his back pocket, pulled out his cell phone, and started showing pictures of his family. Now, the one friend, when he saw the picture of his family, his eyes were immediately drawn to the youngest child in the photo. Because the youngest child in the photo was obviously physically and mentally handicapped. It was so noticeable that this one friend began to, seem, began to feel sorry for his friend and, and this trial of having to take care of this child in such a condition, and he was groped with emotion, wondering how something could befall such a nice individual. But to his surprise, as this father talked about his family, he never spoke of his child's handicaps. Instead, he spoke of his daughter's sense of humor, her special love for art. And as he looked fondly at his family, he said, I know you can't tell by the picture, but Heather is mentally and physically handicapped. Her development is delayed, but she doesn't look like most handicapped children. She's really a beautiful little girl. But the one friend testifies that when his friend said that down deep in his heart, he wanted to say to him, what are you talking about? i knew immediately when i saw your daughter that something wasn't right i knew that something was off when i looked at her he said these words he said but then i looked at him and saw the way he looked at her and the photograph began to change in front of my eyes he said i was shocked to see this child from her father's perspective to him she didn't look handicapped at all she was beautiful everything that must make her unique and so very special, was shining through in that brief moment. He said, I saw a whole and healthy person who was truly loved because for the first time I saw this child through her father's eyes. Friends, so many times we see people and we immediately cast judgment upon them based on what we see in front of us. We measure them by the clothes they wear, their social status, the color of their skin, their stature, but what if we saw them through their father's eyes? how it would change our perspective. What did God say to Samuel when Samuel went to anoint the king? He said, Samuel, don't look at outward appearance, for that's what man sees. But understand that God looks at the heart. Was Ruth a Moabite? Absolutely. Was Ruth a grief-stricken widow? You bet. Was she poor? Yes. But there was something down deep in Ruth that made her attractive to God. If you remember that text, no Moabite to the 10th generation, none of their descendants can, can come in to the fold. None of them. Yet here she stands with an entire book of the Old Testament named after her. What was it about her that turned the heart of God and ultimately turned the heart of Boaz? Well, listen to Isaiah 56, 6 through 8. It says here, Also the foreigners who joined themselves to the Lord to minister to him and to love the name of the Lord to be his servants, everyone who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and holds fast to my covenant, even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all people. The Lord God who gathers to the dispersed of Israel declares, yet others I will gather to them to those already gathered. Ruth demonstrated in her confession to Naomi that her God was the God of the covenant, and she was casting herself under the shadow of his almighty wings. She was entrusting her entire future into the God of Israel and this is what made her so attractive. Just listen to the story, Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. The Bible says, now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Boaz, the name means strength. In fact, in Chapter 1 of 1 Kings, you have Solomon who builds the temple and one of the pillars he names Boaz. Boaz was indeed a pillar, a man of strength, a man of personal integrity. But listen what the Bible says, verse 2, And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter." So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And listen, and she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. Now let me just pause right there. When she walked in the field that day, to everybody else she was a Moabite. To everybody else she was less than a servant. As a matter of fact, she was a servant of the servants. She was a poor, destitute, grieving widow. And the Bible says she happened to come to this portion of the field. What did we learn a moment ago? God is always at work. Nothing is by chance. Understand that she didn't just simply happen to come to this portion of the field. She walked directly to the place that God intended her to be. God's sovereign hand can be seen all over this text as he directs the path of Ruth and Boaz to a particular location at a precise time. And understand that everything that unfolds in redemptive history from this point forward is dependent upon Ruth happening to be in this field. Consider what happens if she isn't in this field on this day. That means there's no King David. That means there's no King Solomon. That means there's no kingdom of Israel united or divided. There's no prophetic announcement. If we go on and think about Christmas time, if Ruth doesn't happen to be in the field that day, there's no reason to tell the shepherds to go to Bethlehem. Tell the magi to stay where they are. Tell Herod there's no need to be upset. Tell Simeon, don't go and give praise in the temple. If Ruth doesn't happen to be there on that day, the lame don't leap, the sick aren't healed, the blind can't see, the deaf can't hear, the cross never happens, the dead are not raised, Jesus never resurrects, there's no book of Acts, there's no Apostle Paul, there's no New Testament. Messianic hope is indeed dead if Ruth isn't in the field on this day, but she is right where God intended her to be and because of that the doorway of salvation swings wide for all people yes even a Moabite girl even the drug addict even the pornographer even the gossip even the thief even the liar even the murderer even you what does it say in verse 3 through 5, it says, Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. And Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the servants, Who is this young woman? What good was there in Ruth that he would take notice of her? She's just a poor Moabite girl gleaning behind the servants of Boaz. At this moment, she's in filthy rags. She's dirty from a long day at work. She's a widow. Why would he notice her? Friends, this is a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he sees in us. When Boaz saw her, he said, who is that woman? It was love at first sight. Can I remind you that John 9 tells us that when Jesus is passing by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. John is adamant that Jesus saw him. The Son of Man has come to do what? To seek and to save that which was lost. If a man has a hundred sheep and one goes astray, will he not leave all of them behind to go and find the one? That's what we see here. This portrait of the seeking Savior as he spots Ruth the Moabite in the field. Do you remember that day? Do you remember that day when he saw you? Do you remember that day when you were robed in your filthy rags of sin? There was nothing good in you, but when he saw you, his eyes lit up. There was love at first sight, and he said, who is that? Who's that one that's gleaning in my fields? Bring them to me. This is a picture of grace. For the rest of this chapter, we see this beauty just begin to unfold as Boaz tells Ruth. She says, what favor? What what have I done that you would find favor in me? Boaz says, your reputation has preceded you. What you did for your mother-in-law, the confession you made, you've been weighed in the balance. The content of your character, your faith in God, your hope in God's covenant has rose to the surface. He sees her as an object of God's marvelous, infinite, matchless grace. Verse 13 through 17, the blessings just keep on flowing. And she's allowed to go and, and, and glean with the servants, the reapers, and she comes back literally with 75 pounds of grain. As Boaz says to her, don't just be in the back where the servant of the servants glean. You go to the front of the line and you get anything you want. And you sit at my table and you drink water when you want water and you have something to eat when you want something to eat. I mean, it's a beautiful picture of grace. I mean, understand this, friends. When Ruth went to the field that day, she went to the field to get bread. But she came back with so much more. She came back with a Savior. She came back with a kinsman redeemer. And understand, this is what Naomi and Ruth need. As much as they were spiritually or or physically starving, what they need is someone to rescue them. Remember when Ruth walked out of the house that day for Naomi? Everything was lost. Messianic hope was dead. It was buried in Moab. But now suddenly Ruth burst through the door with an abundance of grain and she tells this story of what has happened. Verse number 19, her mother in law, chapter 2, said to her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, the name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said, this man is our relative. He is one of our kinsmen, redeemers. Do you understand that just five minutes ago, Naomi thought everything is lost. But now, out of death, comes life. Just five minutes ago, messianic hope was dead, but now with the announcement of the name of Boaz, messianic hope is literally resurrected. And that's what I want you to see Ned. Next. next, out of death comes life. Hope springs to life. From the depths of her soul, the Word of God The law of God became sweet to her taste as she remembers the Leverite law of marriage and the law of the kinsman redeemer. Now, these laws are found in Leviticus 25, Numbers 35, and Deuteronomy 25. We're not going to go through all of them, but let me just kind of give you an overview quickly. Four things to know. Number one, number one, the kinsman redeemer would redeem property. That's Leviticus 25, 25 through 28. Number two, the kinsman redeemer would redeem a person. That's Leviticus 25, 47 through 55. Number three, the kinsman redeemer would redeem blood. This is Numbers 35, 16 through 21. But most importantly, the kinsman redeemer would redeem that which was lost through death. The word for kinsman redeemer is the word goel. It speaks of this position of this individual, the kinsman. Was the man who was a relative? The redeemer is what he does. Deuteronomy 25 says, when a brother, when brothers live together, and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside of the family to a strange man. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her to himself as wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. It shall be that the firstborn whom she bears shall assume the name of his dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out in Israel for this is what Naomi remembers and this is where the picture of Christ becomes so evident you see for one to become the kinsman redeemer three requirements must be met number one they must be a kinsman they must be related and what do we know about Boaz Chapter 2, verse 1, he was of the family of Elimelech. He was their kinsman. Number two, they must be able to pay the price of redemption. After Naomi hears that he's one of our redeemers, what does she say to Ruth? Go to him tonight. Lay down at his feet. And when he wakes up, you you, you basically propose marriage to him. You tell him that you are one of our kinsmen redeemers and we want you to purchase us. You want... We want you to buy back that which was lost because of death. What does Boaz say in verse number 11 and 12? He says, my daughter, chapter 3, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask. He's got to be able to pay the price. But number 3, he's got to be willing to redeem. He's got to be willing. You see, although the law of the kinsman redeemer is recorded in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. It was not a law that was forced, meaning an individual could actually opt out of it. However, he would opt out of this at great, distray, at great disgrace. One had to be willing to redeem. And what does verse 12 and 13 says? It says, Ruth, it's true that I'm a close relative, however, there is a relative closer than I. Remain this night, and when morning comes, if he will redeem you, good, let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. He's got to be willing, and Boaz says he's willing. What happens next? Boaz actually takes grain, and he puts it into the cloak of Ruth. Commentators say it's around 200 pounds of grain that he gave her. And he says to her, Ruth, you got to get home before the sun comes up because nobody can know you were here. So can you imagine this little Moabite woman with 200 pounds of grain dragging it through the streets just to get home? And when she walks through the door, can you imagine Naomi as she sees this? And she says in verse 18, my daughter, wait. Just wait until you know how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest until he has settled it today. For Naomi, hope now lives. Maybe, just maybe, messianic hope is not dead. Maybe, just maybe, there is one who can redeem us. For some of you today, this is where you are. Right now, hope is springing to life. Maybe for the first time in many years, you're beginning to to think to yourself, maybe, just maybe, this Jesus can actually redeem us. Maybe, just maybe, he would be willing. Maybe he would pay the price. Maybe he could be my Savior. You hear what happens as we see in the text, Jesus is our kinsman, Redeemer, chapter 4. Now Boaz went up to the gate and he sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. So he said, turn aside, friend, and sit down here. And He turned aside and sat down. He took 10 men of the elders of the city, and he said, sit down here. So they sat down. He said to the closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought to inform you, saying, buy it before those who are sitting here, before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know. For there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. And he said, I will redeem it. And Boaz said, on the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, The widow of the deceased in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance and the closest relative said I cannot redeem it for myself because I would jeopardize my own inheritance redeem it for yourselves you may have the right of my redemption for I cannot redeem it the closer relative represents the law the law cannot save you're born under the law but it cannot redeem you as much as you try to live up to it you will always fall short and you will always perish in your sin. You need someone to pay the debt. You need somebody to pay the price. You need somebody to come in who's willing to redeem you. There is one who can. The Bible says, now this was the custom in former times, verse 7, in Israel concerning the redemption and the exchange of land to confirm any matter. A man would remove his sandal and give it to another, and this was the manner of attestation in Israel. So the closest relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, and he removed his sandal. Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Maon. Moreover, listen, I have acquired Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Melon, to be my wife, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace, you are witnesses today. And all the people who were in the court and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, both who built the house of Israel, and may you achieve wealth in Ephrathon, become famous in Bethlehem. What they're saying there is may Ruth become fruitful. But now listen to this, verse 12. This is messianic hope. Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah through the offspring, which the Lord will give you by this young woman. In the midst of a spiritually dark time, understand what's just happened. Those people living in the land of Israel have just said, just as God promised the lion to come from the tribe of Judah. So we are praying that from this woman, the Messiah will come as promised. In the midst of a spiritually dark time, messianic hope has now been resurrected. What a concept. If you read the lineage at the end of this book, verse 16, Naomi took the child. That was born to Boaz and Ruth and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. And the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez to her. Perez was born Hezron. To his Ron was born Ram, to Ram, Amenadab. To Amenadab was born Nashon, to Nashon to Salmon, Salmon Boaz, and to Boaz Obed. And Obed was born Jesse, Jesse to David, and then as we read last week, David tracing all the way down to the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, what we find in the text, our Boaz, our kinsman redeemer, Boaz is so like unto Christ in so many ways, but one way in particular, not only does he become the redeemer of Naomi and Ruth, Naomi a Jew, Ruth a Gentile, reminding us that Jesus is the Savior of all people, but he truly resurrects the messianic hope of the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. Jesus has fulfilled everything that needs to be fulfilled to be our kinsman Redeemer, what is redemption? Redemption is the payment of the price of sin by the sacrifice of Christ, whereby he purchased the believer out of the slave market of sin and set us free. And what did I say a moment ago? Three requirements. Number one, the kinsman redeemer must be related by blood. Is Jesus related to us by blood? Absolutely. He's a part of our family. In Jesus, God became a man. He became related to us. He is God. But as our kinsman, Redeemer, He is human. John 1:14, the word became flesh and took up residence among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He is our kinsman. Number two, he must be able to pay the price. Did Jesus have the required? funds to redeem us. He must have the necessary means. And Jesus was able to redeem us from the slave market of sin because he was able to pay the price. That price was his own blood. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious Blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. And number three, the kinsman redeemer must be willing to redeem. We saw in Deuteronomy, it's possible for a kinsman to refuse to redeem. If someone is going to redeem, they've got to be willing to redeem us. And Jesus was willing to redeem us by paying the ultimate price through his death. He voluntarily gave up his own life. Lord God, Father, if it is possible for this cup to pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done in my life, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give up his life a ransom for many. John 10, 15, I laid down my life for the sheep. He was willing to redeem. Friends, as I said at the beginning of the story that this is the greatest love story ever written, but it's only the greatest love story ever written if you see it through the lens of Christ Jesus and his finished work. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8, for rarely will someone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone would even dare to die. But God proves his, love, his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Our kinsman, redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ has come. And here's the beauty of the text. Moabite, foreigner, Ruth, today, just as she was grafted into the lineage of Christ, guess what? You too can become adopted into the family of God. And all the inheritance that belongs to Christ belongs to you now. If you would just come to the table of the Lord and allow your kinsman redeemer to actually act on your behalf and buy you back from the slave market of sin. Oh, won't you be saved today? Won't you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, our kinsman redeemer? Heads bowed and eyes closed. The musicians are going to come. We're going to just sing one verse of an invitation song today, just one verse. But I'm just wondering if there's anybody that came in today, messianic hope for you is dead, but hear this message and you realize there is hope. Jesus is our kinsman, redeemer. And he wants to save you from your sins. And he wants to set you free from the bondage of sin. All you need to do is just give your life to him in faith. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what the Bible says. So I'm just wondering, is there anybody here today that would raise their hand and say, Pastor Zach, I need to give my life to Christ. I've never been saved, but today I want to give my heart to the Lord Jesus and be saved. Anybody at all would like to be saved today? Listen, if you're watching online, listening on the radio, we have people there on the live stream. Would would love to talk to you about salvation. We're going to have just a brief time of invitation one verse if you're here today and you've been saved we invite you to worship as we sing if you're here today and you've never been saved during this first verse I ask you to get up and move this way come take me by the hand and say pastor Zach I need to give my life to the Lord Jesus Christ father you have your will in your way during this time it's all dedicated to you if you'll stand to your feet and sing with our praise team as we sing this morning brother Merritt's gonna lead as you come
2: This is my desire, to honor you. Won't you come this morning? Lord, with all my heart, I worship you. My heart, I give you my soul. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake. Lord, have your way in me. Let's give the Lord a big
0: hand today. Praise his name. Listen so thankful for you being here today once again if you visited with us today please swing by that connections desk right beside the double doors on your way out so we can have a record of your visit please don't return don't don't forget to come back tonight I, mean, I didn't come out right please don't forget to return tonight at 5 p.m. for the night of encouragement it's going to be a great evening of just encouraging one another so please come out at 5 p.m. for that tonight free hot chocolate, free gifts for you uh, tonight uh, to come back to that time at 5 o'clock. Also, if you'd like to give to Flat Creek, you can always give on your way out the door or give at FlatCreekChurch.net. And please don't forget to give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering um, as we're taking up money for International Mission Board missionaries. Also, y'all give Brother Merritt a big hand today. Also, I told the 8.30 service, I'm gonna embarrass him again. Just yesterday, announced it on Facebook. This young man got betrothed yesterday uh, to be married, engaged now. And uh, he wouldn't tell you that, but y'all make sure you love on him a little bit and wish him well as he's about to get married. Uh, We're going to ask Merritt to close us with a word of prayer. This is your benediction. We hope to see you this evening. God bless.
2: Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for this day, and I just thank you for allowing us to be here today, Lord. I just thank you uh, for sending your son 2,000 years ago. Uh, to to die on the die on the cross for our sins, Lord. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.
0: Thank you so much for joining us on the Sunday stream here at Flat Creek Baptist Church in Gainesville, Georgia. I am Pastor Zach Williams, and it is a great honor to have you join us through our online platform. It is our belief here at Flat Creek Baptist that you should be connected to a local congregation. And so if you are in the Gainesville, Georgia area, we want to encourage you to come out and be a part of what God is doing in our midst. There's nothing like being connected to a local body of believers. However, if you are tuning in today, and you are not from the Gainesville, Georgia area, and you're tuning in from some other place on earth, what we're gonna encourage you to do is get attached to a local body of believers under good, sound, biblical, doctrinal preaching so that you can be encouraged in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, and allow Flat Creek Baptist and our Sunday stream to just be a supplement to what God is doing in your life. Friends, I thank you so much once again for joining us. God bless you. And for more information, you can visit our website, flatcreekchurch.net. Texaco has been on the American road for generations. We're celebrating 120. 97.5
3: 97.5 Glory FM, your family radio station in North Hi, Georgia. I'm fine.